You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into episode 172 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, a lot to get through today. We've got a great show planned for you. We'll start off by recapping the 75-70 overtime win for Florida over Virginia Tech and the NCAA Tournament Plus. Virginia Tech women's basketball takes care of Marquette in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. We'll break down the first NCAA tournament win for Coach Brooks and his time here at Virginia Tech. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about wrestling. They had their NCAA championships over the weekend. Keely Rochard continues to impress in the circle for Virginia Tech softball, and the Hokies lose a tough series to Clemson in baseball. All that and more coming up. Episode 172 of the Tech Sideline Podcast gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. That's nearly 10 different ways you can consume the Tech Sideline Podcast. So glad you could join us as we record on Monday morning, March the 15th. Our crew today, as always, to my left, our managing editor here at TechSideline.com, Chris Coleman. Across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. Behind the scenes, yes, he is the best podcast producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. It's great to have all of you with us. If you are watching on YouTube, be sure to drop a question in for Will or Chris. It could be about any sport. We'll get to those at the end of the show. And Will, whether it's you're watching live or archived, what should our viewers do right now? With your good finger, click like, and with your broken finger, click subscribe. <laughs> That, that's a joke that goes back to last week for those who don't get it. <laughs> Tech Sideline Podcast is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Each new member gets a free fitness consultation and a program is designed. Sign up for a dollar through your first billing period. You can call 540-951-1340. That number again, 540-951-1340. Ask for Tyler and tell him that Tech Sideline sent you. Tech Sideline Podcast also presented by Campus Emporium, Southeast Regional Training Center. You can go to southeastrtc.com today to get involved with Virginia Tech Wrestling and make an impact on their program, as well as DraftKings. Gentlemen, a busy week in Virginia Tech Athletics. March Madness, you've got fall sports playing in the spring. You've got so much Virginia Tech Athletics going on right now. It's a great time of the year. Will, how are you doing today? Wore out. I was up till 1 a.m. last night. Um, it was, so I was talking, we were talking before we went on there. At one point this weekend uh, on Sunday when the women were playing in the NCAA tournament, I had in my basement office, I had the television there on ESPNU playing the, the women in the tournament. And then I had my browser on the computer in front of me 
And then I had another browser over here and I had the women's softball team, well, softball team playing here and the baseball team playing over here. So I was, I was literally just doing this, looking from left to right. And it's very cool, but it's also a lot of work. So no but, doubt. But Chris Coleman, how are you? How was your weekend? It was good, man. No complaints. How was yours? It was good. Anytime there's a lot of sports going on, it's fun when you get to have multiple screens out. You only get to do that a couple of times a year. So you guys in uh, Bill Roth's SMA program were pretty busy this weekend too, right? Jake was doing softball. Yeah, how about Jake? Yeah. Big, and volleyball. So he did volleyball too? He did. He man. did. He called. So that's the beautiful thing right now. Fall sports playing in the spring. <laughs> Uh, you've got volleyball, men's and women's soccer playing. So there's a oh, lot well, of sports to be brought. I didn't even know they were playing volleyball right now until you just said it. That's crazy right. that so much is getting packed into there you go. such so, a small amount. No, so I, I was driving around Saturday, and the Radford High School football team was playing a game Saturday during the day. And that was their third game in, I think, eight days or something like that. So that's some of what's going on at the high school level is I don't know why they're cramming games in really quick like that, but I saw one of the uh, high school football players at the gym yesterday and I said, well, football is a game I'd rather play than practice. So that's cool. You know, when you're young and you can, you can take it, play as many games as possible. We've got a great show planned for everybody today. With there being so much going on in tech athletics, that means we've got so much to get through on the podcast. Coming up, we'll talk about Virginia Tech women's basketball with a thrilling win over Marquette. Their first tournament since 2006, and they win against Marquette in the 7-10 matchup. We'll talk about the women's basketball team. We'll recap the NCAA championships for wrestling, and we'll get to baseball and softball in just a little bit, plus your questions. But we begin the show today where we'll spend the most amount of time talking about Virginia Tech men's basketball. Saw their season come to a close following a 75-70 overtime loss to Florida on Friday. Nahima Lean dropped a game-high 28 points, but it wasn't enough. Will, let me start with you because the Hokies had a lead at halftime, had a lead in the second half, but they fall short. What was the main reason, in your estimation, why did the Hokies fall to Georgia, fall to Florida? I think it's really simple. When when it gets down to crunch time in the NCAA tournament, you got to make shots. And Trey Mann made a couple of big shots. Naheem made one, the one that sent in an overtime, which was completely awesome. But I think you know there, there's lots of stuff that goes into it. you can say oh Aluma fouled out and Mutz fouled out in overtime uh you know Beatty only had one assist in 29 minutes Hunter Couture missed his last seven shots but that last thing I said kind of his last seven three-pointers that last thing I said kind of feeds into it you know Tech got off to a hot start I remember when it was 21 to 11 and I think Couture at that point had made three three-pointers and things were looking really good and then it, it kind of got bogged down and it became one of those tight NCAA tournament games. But to me, it, it's just that simple. Trey Mann's step back three-pointer. I think it was in overtime. First, first of all, I have to preface my comments by saying there was so much going on. I didn't really get a chance to digest the basketball game. So I'm kind of speaking off the top of my head, having looked at, at a few stats and going off my, my fuzzy memory, which is crammed with all sorts of stuff. But to me, I, I, I don't think it's real complicated. I think it gets down to that. If you watch the games, it's the teams that make shots. Because a, a, an opinion I'm developing is as you watch 
I've, I've got it written down here. Number 15, Oral Roberts over number two, Ohio State. Number 14, Abilene Christian over number three, Texas. Number 13, North Texas over number four, Purdue. Number 13, Ohio over number four, Virginia. Number 15, Oral Roberts over number seven, Florida. Syracuse over WVU, that's 11 over three. That's a little different animal. Number eight, Loyola Chicago over number one, Illinois. There are a lot of well-coached basketball teams out there. It's interesting. You can see, sorry to go on and on and on and kind of hog the mic. You can see the the difference in athleticism between two teams. Like if you look at Loyola Chicago and I think it was Illinois, you know, one team is just bigger and more athletic than the other. But some of these teams are so well-coached and then they get to shooting well and forget it. There's nothing you can do about it. And we saw that happen repeatedly this weekend. So that's kind of my long way of answering. Let's say Trey Mann misses a shot and Hunter Couture makes two of those last seven three-pointers that he, that he missed. We're having a different conversation today. Chris, your just general thoughts. Why did the Hokies fall on Friday? Uh, I thought Florida was a really good defensive team. I thought they did a good job pushing Tech out of their offenses as the game wore on. Generally speaking, I agree with Will. Um, I think the main reason Tech lost that game is because they only played three games in the last 40-plus days. Well, yeah. Um, and, and that and probably the, feeds into not not making the shots late when you need to. Could, could easily be that way. But uh, the NCAA defines an upset in the NCAA tournament as any team ranked five seeds lower than the, than the higher team. And I believe I said there were 11. There have been 11 upsets like that so far. Wow. And uh, which is the most – Ever, I think, and and we're only a round and a half in. Remember, when we used um, to get excited when twelves would beat fives, right? And we don't talk about that anymore because right. it happens um, so much. Yeah. So a lot of these games, I don't really consider them upsets. Uh, we talk about parity in college or lack of parity in college football. Well, whatever parity has left college football has gone right <laughs> over to college basketball. And it's like honestly, I grew up a football fan, but I've always loved Virginia Tech basketball. But now I actually like college basketball more than college football because college football is – why did you look up there? You, sh- you should up? scoot your chair forward a little bit. It's bumping that back. There you okay. go. All right. Um, we don't want that falling down on your head there, We Chris. don't want that. We don't want that. Head. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Tech um, – I think they've got a chance to make some noise in the coming years for sure. Uh, but – I'll, I'll look at that shot Trey Mann made in overtime to take it from a one-point game to a four-point game. And, you know, coming into the game, he more of his three-pointers this season were unassisted than assisted. So he does stuff like that a lot. Right. Kind of makes mistakes at a one-man show. In this particular case, it was not a very good shot. All right. He, uh, Tech had switched, you know, off the screen or whatever, and they had Pimsel. 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 So Pimsel was on him. He's got a big man on him. He can blow right by him easily, and he, instead he decides to do a step-back 21-foot three-pointer with 20 seconds on the shot clock. Yeah. If Tech gets a, a re, if he misses and Tech gets the rebound, then the Hokies get the last shot. And a chance to win it with any bucket. With a chance, to, yeah, exactly. It was not a good decision by him, to be honest with you, yeah. but, but it, it went in. He made the shot. But he made it. Yeah. But, but your, your point about defense is very true. Florida challenged them. They, they kind of threw a soft press on them pretty much the whole game. And they, and they challenged them the instant they came over the midcourt line, and they made everything difficult. Right. Uh, Florida kind of reminds me a little bit – they reminded me a little bit of the old Oliver Purnell teams at Clemson. Their press isn't as hardcore as Clemson's. I mean, Clemson was just so reliant on forcing turnovers and getting yeah. easy baskets. But 
they'll guard you 75 feet away from the basket like Clemson did. Offensively, they're not terribly sophisticated. Um, but uh, kind of had that feel like you were playing one of those old old Clemson teams. I want to talk about Keve Aluma for just a moment. 36 minutes, all ACC second team. Struggled against North Carolina in the quarterfinals. Finishes with just seven points and seven rebounds, but he did foul out of the game. And Justin Mutz, only six points. So, Chris, that's 13 combined points from your two post players. To me, the two in foul trouble had a huge impact on that second half. Yeah, it didn't help, but I I just – they got outplayed by Florida's big men is what it comes down to. I mean, the the Florida big men, I thought they were – they were physical, and I mean that in a good way. Like it was rare that Keve Aluma actually caught the ball in the paint. Like the the easiest, well, not not easiest. Easiest is the wrong word. The best way to defend a dominant post player is to not let him catch the Deny ball. The you, ball. you don't let him catch the ball and then start defending him, right? Yeah. Well, they barely let Aluma catch the ball on the inside at all, and 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 same for Mutz. Mutz got a few more looks than Aluma did, I thought. But uh, I mean, they were even guarding Aluma out on the three point line. Nope, nope. Nobody's smart. guarded him on the three-point line all year. Yeah, it's really smart. It's, it's like ACC coaches never watch film all year. They just left him wide open all season. So, and for, so, a, for a while there, whether or not Tech won or lost was kind of depending on whether he made his three-pointers because he was open all the time. This yeah. is the first team all year that actually bothered to, def- to defend wow. him out there. So for me, it's not so much the, the, the lack of numbers. It's uh, if, if you look. You know, yes, they both fouled out, but uh, Mutz played 37 out of 45 minutes and Illumina played 36 out of 45. And between the two of them, they only took 11 shots between mm-hmm. the two of them. That, to me, is the key stat. It's not so much that, you know, Mutz had six points, Illumina had seven, Mutz had five, re- excuse me, five, five rebounds, and Illumina had seven. Yeah, but it, but it's, it's really about the lack of, of, of being a major factor in a the cup, game. A couple of those were like Mutz three-pointers too, right? Like you attempted probably three yeah. points yeah. so right. yeah the, the tech could just not could not get the ball inside to yeah. their big men um they uh tech has a lot of scholarship players on the roster but they don't have a i wouldn't wouldn't say they have much ncaa tournament depth right now like yes john ojiaco's on the roster and i think he can and can certainly be a good player for virginia tech one day um and he'll get more minutes next year, but he's not ready for the NCAA tournament right now because he missed the entire preseason and basically didn't start playing until January. And then the program got shut down twice. So he's just out of rhythm, and you can't trust him right now. Yeah. Bamisil's a freshman. Darius Maddox is a freshman. And Jalen and Jalen Cohn's hurt. So, you know, some of those guys you don't want to throw into the fire into in an NCAA tournament game because you're trying to win the game. It's yeah. not a – February 15th matchup against Wake Forest where you can just put anybody in there. You're you're, trying to survive in advance. You know, you'll get criticized for not using more players. Um, uh, Like, uh, but at the same time, if you had, like Tyrese Radford played all 40 minutes, right? I don't think he ever came. He did. He played all 45 45, 45, excuse me, yeah. Wow. Right, so now I can sit here and make the argument that Radford was worn out at the end of the game, and he probably was, and that at some point they probably, you know, Joe Bama still should have gotten eight minutes or something like that just to give Radford a blow so he's fresher for the end of the game. But at the same time, what if Bamisil comes in the game and just – is lost like he is a lot of times when they on defense when they do put him you in, are listing right? guys who need to get better on defense right which is critical in the ncaa tournament right exactly right so 
you know, to, I could I could criticize for saying you probably should have got some of those guys some more rest, but when their backups come in and give up points and, and aren't as good, um, I it's it's you know you, you can make the argument both ways. But ultimately, Tech just got beat. I in hindsight, what I wish they had done more was foul number four, the one who uh, I, I forgot. Deruji, yeah. He threw, he threw down if the you all, say so, Gesundheit. He threw uh, he threw down that amazing dunk to start yeah. overtime, but he also missed the two free throws. That yeah. the tech, he was he's only a fifty percent free throw shooter, mm-hmm. and you know when overtime started, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, we can't stop him right now because we weren't stopping them at all. Yeah. Tech wasn't stopping him. I was like, our defense should be let him catch it and foul him. The uh, hack a shack. Yeah, yeah. Defense. Um, because you don't want to foul the other big man because he was making all his free throws. <laughs> I, I do want to point him out real quick. Colin Castleton, 43 minutes. We're talking about the, the, the big men and the difference. So Aluma ends up fouling out as well as Justin Mutz. Castleton in 43 minutes, 14 boards, 19 points, one personal foul. I, I am I am not a guy <laughs> who in, – and this isn't directly related to Castleton only having one foul. I'm not a guy who talks about officiating, but even Aluma couldn't help himself. He went on Twitter yesterday, and I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he said something like, sounds like I need to learn how to wall up on defense because apparently I don't know how. And he included two pictures of himself playing straight up, hands up in the air defense. Yeah, I thought they've called some ticky-tack fouls on tech. I thought the refs (laughs) got too involved. I I thought – I thought they called some ticky-tack fouls on Tech. I don't have a problem with them only calling one foul on Castleton because you're not going to get a foul called on you as a big man if they, the other team can't get the ball in the paint, right? Yeah. Right. So, uh, A couple other things I want to point out. Let's talk about Virginia Tech for a little bit. And let's start with Naheem Aline, who was a huge bright spot. We've talked about it on the podcast the last couple of months or so. Naheem has been very hit or miss. He yeah. might not <laughs> yeah. score a point entire game, go 0 for 8, 0 for 9. Or he might go off like he did in 38 minutes. 28 points, which is a Virginia Tech record. Single game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, right? No, the, when he was at 30 points, it was an NCAA record. Then they corrected the box score. That's right. So the record is still Glenn Combs, I believe, with 29 points. So let, let's clear that up. Uh, if, if you watched the game and you were on Twitter immediately after and you saw that Aleem, Naheem Aline had 30 points. That's where I'm coming They from. incorrectly attributed two Tyrese Radford free throws late in the game. To excuse me, yes, they incorrected. They incorrectly attributed two Tyrese Radford three free throw makes to Naheem, giving him thirty points, but that wasn't accurate, and they fixed that later. There we go. So, at any rate, twenty eight points. He played with four fouls, eight of eleven from the charity stripe, four of ten from deep, including the three that sent the game into overtime. Uh, yeah. Chris and well, I mean, his best game of his career, but with Cone out. With Couture struggling in the second half, I mean, in a way, Naheem Aline really kept the Hokies in the game as that second scoring threat with Radford. Yeah, it was the Radford Aline show for sure. Um, and they just needed one more guy, right? right. Uh, yeah, for sure. And if they could have got one of those two bigs going, it would have been a different story. Um, I think Aline's a talented player. Um, I, I know a basketball scout who told me when Aline was being recruited and he signed with Tech, he said he thinks Aline would be a Forget whether he set a twelve hundred point or fourteen hundred point score in his career yeah. in tech, um, and uh, I, I he agreed he's he's a hit or miss player. I've said that at this point. Sometimes he does score third twenty eight. Excuse me. Uh, sometimes <laughs> some some sometimes he does score twenty eight. Sometimes he does score zero. 
Um, if you can get him a little more consistent, then he's got a chance to be a really, really good player. So Kings. what year is he this year? Oh, he was a true sophomore this sophomore. year. So he'll okay, be a true sophomore also again next year. Yeah. Um, I believe out of ta- all five of Virginia Tech's starters, well, I guess Beattie was the highest recruiter. He was actually a top 100 player. Yeah, he was a four-star. Um, but other than that, like, Naheem Aline was the, was the highest-rated recruit out of all the starters, and he was a mid-major recruit, right? And I think he picked Tech over Dayton. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of, we have a question in the chat here, and I knew this would come up. Neil Werner writes in, discussion item. I know Coach Mike Young loves Beattie and says he does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. But Beattie's stats in the NCAA tournament game were zero points, 0 for 1 from the field, one rebound, one assist, one steal, two turnovers, and three personal fouls. With Storm Murphy coming in next year, do you think Mike Young thinks we need Wabisa Beattie next year? Question oh, uh, from oh, the chat. Oh, Storm Murphy's the starting point guard next year, whether Wabisa Beattie's on the team or not. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and honestly, B, did we talk about this last week? I think you and I. I think we did. Um, I think we actually talked about Beatty on the podcast because we were talking about Storm Murphy. He basically had a tweet about uh, Storm Murphy's dance that went viral. Right, right. And, but it was it was a funny, joking tweet. Yeah. So he was kind of like welcome to Blacksburg type of thing. By the and he's welcoming his replacement basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yes, great teammate and everything like that. But. Uh, Mike Young would not bring Storm Murphy in here without the intention of starting him and playing him 30 minutes a game. When you just look at the numbers, again, let's go over In case you missed last week's podcast, Storm Murphy shoots almost 42% from three-point range. He shoots 85% from the free-throw line. He has a career assist-to-turnover ratio of roughly 2 to 1, which is kind of where you set set the bar for, for college point guards at least. He has the potential to, you know – you can't leave Storm Murphy open. You can leave Wabisabidi open. Yeah. So um, that's why we think he's going to come in and start oh, next year. I mean, it's not a question of thinking. It's a 100% <laughs> fact that he's going to be Tech's starting point guard next yeah. year. There, because he wouldn't come here unless he knew he was going to start. Yeah. Um, so, because he had plenty of other options. I'm sure he could go right back up to Wisconsin mm. and, and start there. It's shocking that they actually let him get out of that state. Because yeah. normally he, he, he's, he, he's the type of player that thrives at Wisconsin. I, I don't know how they overlooked him. Um, I I would like Beattie to come back next year because uh, he is eligible to come back, of course, as everybody is. Um, because if he comes back, then he's arguably the best defensive specialist in the country. Um, at the end of the game, when you need a stop, then he's in the game of point guard. Right? So how, how many points did Trey Mann have in, in however many, in many minutes he played? Trey Mann's numbers, 44 minutes, so he played all but one wow. minute. Five of nine from the field, three of six from deep, uh, 14 points, four assists, four turnovers, three rebounds. And this right. is a guy who'd been scoring 20-plus and had been Recently. the focal well, point he, of the he, he averaged 16 in regulation, so he scored 14 in 45 minutes, played more minutes than he normally does anyway. Yeah. Because it's an NCAA tournament game. And, and so, uh, you know, Beattie, Beattie held him. Beattie uh, and I tweeted job. this. Exactly. Beattie kept him under control. Yeah. You know, so. And at least three of those points weren't scored on Beattie, as we Yes, saw. as so, we detailed. So, yeah, Beattie is a great defensive point guard, and that's always welcome. Um, but, I, you know, you need you need a – you need a few really good players on your team and then everybody else to be kind of specialists, have specialist roles. Like like Jalen Cohn is never going to be a full-time starter for Virginia Tech basketball. Um, he's not a point guard at all, and 
he's a 5'9 shooting guard. So you're not going to start a 5'9 shooting guard and play him 30 minutes a game at the ACC. But he's a specialist. You know, he's, he's going to be your three-point specialist off the bench for his career. That's who he is as a player. And that's fine as long as, you know, he buys into that. Yeah. And you're honest with him and you say, this is who you are in our program. And, uh, and I'm sure that conversation has already been had, or if it hasn't already been had, it will be had in the coming weeks between Mike Young and Wabisa, and Wabisa Beattie. Um, listen, we want you to come back. Mike Young's already said he wants Beattie to come back. Right. And he was said he, it was, someday he hopes he gives Beattie his start in coaching. Um, but I, I suspect they're going to sit down and have the conversation. This is what your playing time would look like if you come back, and it's going to be about 10 or 12 minutes a game as opposed to 30 minutes a game. And and which is fine as long as as long as you're you're as if all parties are honest with each other, and and he's he's a guy that you know in, in his time here his shot hasn't improved the the mechanics of it and and the sheer numbers of it, so I I would assuming he wants to spend another year in school I would think that the prospect of being a specialist who can really focus on one thing and really bring that to the table might be attractive it might be who knows um but I I do know that if he comes back and uh. Padula, the the, the freshman Padula, point guard, yeah. Padula that they've got coming in, they can, and it took us here it is, thirty three minutes. They can redshirt him <laughs> if if, uh, if they wanted to. And he, every day in practice, that kid can go up against the best defensive point guard in the ACC and will be Sabidi. Yeah, right. So, or maybe he could do that anyway if Beatty was a grad assistant. But uh, at any rate, I, I I think it would be a benefit, short term and long term, if Beatty came back. But Storm Murphy's got to start, and it's got to be your 30-minute-in-the-game guy, point guard, in my opinion. All right, so we're recapping Virginia Tech's overtime loss in the second round of the NCAA tournament on Friday. We just kind of recapped the game itself. I want to spend a little bit of time taking that 10,000-foot view of everything that has transpired from November until now. We'll do Rosebud and Thorn in just a moment to get Will and Chris's thoughts. But I want to point this out, and Chris, you touched on it here just a moment ago. So February 6th, Hunter Couture, buzzer beater, sends the game in overtime at Miami. Tech wins against the Canes on the road. Then they go on a COVID pause. Florida State canceled. North Carolina canceled. Florida State canceled. Come back after 17 days, lose to Georgia Tech. Beat Wake Forest on February 27th. Louisville canceled. North Carolina State canceled. And then the ACC tournament and then the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So the Hokies won just one game. That was February 6th against Miami. After that one game, that was Wake Forest from their COVID pause. And, Will, I remember on the podcast specifically after that, uh, when Virginia Tech won on the COVID pause, and you said something to the extent of you are rethinking your entire expectations for the season. And, and where the level is and what, what Virginia Tech would look like when they come back. Because I thought COVID would derail them. Yeah. And, um, and in a way, it's just so hard to get into a rhythm when, when you didn't play that many games down the stretch. Do you think it impacted this team from February to now, how the season finished? I do. Um, and without being inside the program every day, I can only speculate. But, but we know that Hunter Couture's effectiveness went down, and he was a big part of, of a lot of their early success. Um, but if you look at the last two losses, North Carolina and Florida, they just they ran out of gas at the end. And I don't want to blame about it on the last conditioning. Ten minutes of the game. 
Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. but but the the game plans were excellent against North Carolina and excellent against Florida, and and the players just just couldn't couldn't carry it out and and over forty minutes or forty or forty or forty five yeah. minutes and and so that's that's something I'd like to see change next year. Only Mike Young and his players know how much of that was COVID and how much of that was just needing to mature and get better at those types of situations. Um, yeah, you know, you, you, you hate to be right about stuff, but um, I, I tweeted out, I screen-capped the, the last part of the schedule. They beat number eight UVA to go to, oh, I can't remember, the record was something like 13-2, and 7-2 and two in the ACC. I think they'd, only, they'd lost to Penn State and Louisville at that point, and that's it, yeah. maybe. And, then and the, Syracuse. And Syracuse. Yeah, and then the, then the next, so, so it was three losses, not, uh, not yeah. two. Um, seven and two in the ACC, probably twelve and three overall, or something like that. And and uh, man, it just it just went south after that. And what I said in my tweet was not a lot to like after that UVA win. And and somebody said actually there was a lot to like. And I I said you're correct. Just looking at the schedule from a from a wins and losses standpoint and not being able to play that was ugly. But if you drill down into the program, you did see. Some some very encouraging things. And Chris, we would have really learned a lot about this Tech team coming off the win against Virginia when you had two games against Florida State, a game against North Carolina, a game against Louisville. Yeah. There were a lot of big time games that weren't played and, this year. And this is why Tech was a, was a ten seed. Um, it's because and I, I looked at these numbers last week because they're all available in the NCAA tournament website, and all all the all the teams seeded ahead of Tech, uh, they played more quadrant one games and they beat more quadrant one teams tech only had two quadrant one wins all year and a lot of these teams that were seeded like florida for example who was a seven seed had five which is more than any acc team in the entire you know any acc team yeah so the, the acc was down this year and tech had an opportunity to pick up more quadrant one wins and, and play more quadrant one games but their game at uva was canceled both games against florida state was canceled uh, the game at UNC was canceled. Um, so Tech would not have won all those games, but they probably would not have lost all of them either. But if you're the selection committee, all you can take account of is the information that's in front of you. You can't look at it and say, oh, well, they would have probably won two more power, two, excuse me, two more quadrant one games if they played. So we'll bump them up to a six seed because of that. You can't do that. Um, so I, I thought... Not only is it tough luck getting so many games canceled, it's the games that were canceled. It, it was particularly bad luck. And the, and the timing of it, later in the season instead right. of earlier right. in the season. And, and you've got to learn how to understand how the NCAA selection committee uses the net rankings. Your net ranking doesn't matter so much. Uh, in fact, it matters hardly at all. But the net rankings are, only exist to form the quadrants, right? Right. So it's, it's what you do against Quadrant 1, Quadrant 2, Quadrant 3, Quadrant 4 is what matters. For example, there um, I forget which team it was that ranked 8th in the country in the net, but, but they played in a small conference and they went 0-2 against their Quadrant 1 opponents. So it. they only got like a 14 seed, right? So so if the, NCAA, uh, if the selection committee actually used the nets, the net rankings of each team to seed the teams, that team would have been like a two or a three seed, seed. Right? Instead, they were a 14. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that Tech was 50th or whatever in the net. What matters is they only had two quadrant one wins all year, and that's why they were that's why they were a 10 seed. So you look at the season as a whole, Will, preseason pick to finish 11th 
of 15 in the conference. Tech finishes third. Mike Young, coach of the year in his second year. Keve Aluma, all ACC second team, one of the surprises of the conference. Make the NCAA tournament for a fourth consecutive NCAA tournament, of course, with last year not counting, but it does technically go down as four in a row. How will we remember this season for Virginia Tech men's basketball? Ahead of schedule and uh, possibly derailed from doing even better things because of of the games that they weren't able to play. Um, But to me, just ahead of schedule. Uh, I I never would have guessed – you remember when Mike was Mike Young was hired and they had what three players on the roster, something like that, a couple yeah. more in the transfer portal or something like that. <laughs> uh, if if you had told me uh, two years ago, I guess about, about two years ago that they were going to make the NCAA tournament this year, I'd have said, "Are you kidding me? How's that going to happen? <laughs> Who's going to be on the team? Right? Yeah, right. How we get? How, how's that going <laughs> to? How's that going to happen? Right. So if you really want to take the fifty thousand foot view, that's it. That, I'm. I'm I want to be a part of March Madness as much as the next guy. Like when, when the Hemaline shot went in, I thought, yes, they're going to run that on the highlight shows. And they probably did, but there was, <laughs> there was a butt that followed, you know, and, and I want to be a part of March Madness as much as the next guy, but you got to, you got to pump the brakes and realize they're ahead of schedule. And I'll just leave it at that. I think it's, yeah, I would agree with that ahead of schedule. And then, it's also, I think, the season is defined by several big wins that people take notice of. Obviously, beating Villanova and Bubblesville, um, beating UVA. Uh, I forget exactly what UVA was ranked in. Number, they, were they were number eight, were and, number and, eight. And, and Tech really basically sent the warning shot that UVA wasn't all that. Right. Um, now, right. now I think by then Gonzaga had, had railroaded them pretty Oh, that, that was when UVA's program was shut down. I remember. Not, yeah. not that Gonzaga wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, but, but, but you know, UVA was playing pretty well, number eight in the country, and then Tech put a 19-0 run on them in the second half, right? Yeah. And that kind of that kind of told everybody, yeah, UVA's not all that. And um, so that was important. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, um, and then – and it's it's a big deal to the fan base to beat Duke, so you can throw that one up there to a certain extent. The Duke game this year does not count as like a quadrant one win, so it didn't count in the NCAA selection committee's factoring of where Virginia Tech should sure. be seated. Nor should it, because Duke didn't make the NCAA tournament and only went thirteen and eleven. But yet, you know, it was still a big moment for the fan base whenever we beat Duke. So, uh, so yeah, being ahead of schedule, and then I think uh, several big moments that that people took notice of is how I'll look back on it and remember. Well, Hunter Couture making that big game tying three pointer that showed he can do it. Cause he missed one against Louisville. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and Aluma hanging 30 points on, did he do that more than once? Uh, he was up around that level more than once. Yeah. Um, I know he got to 30 once, uh, you know, and I guess you could, you could play the what if game too. What would have happened if, if there was no COVID and, they had got to play those games at the end. Of course, I don't remember what their schedule, original schedule looked like. If, if you're going to play the what if there there was no COVID game, then what did their original ACC schedule look like before they redid the schedule? Yeah, right? and, and the funny thing, we sit here and, and, and we've talked about the schedule a couple of times, and I keep thinking, you know, they missed out on a home game against Louisville. And then that voice in my brain's like, well, so what? There would have been a couple hundred people there, you know, yeah. and, and maybe they would have beaten Louisville. But how about well, we, how about Louisville. we save that one for a full <laughs> Castle College? That's that's true. That's a, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's I think that's all I've got. I, I think it was a I think it was a good season for Tech. Yeah. Um, 
I think uh, I don't know. Are we going to talk expectations? Well, how about we do this? Uh, final thought here for men's basketball. Let's uh, let's combine expectations into my favorite game that we do on the podcast. Right. Rosebud and Thorn. For those that have not listened or watched the podcast, I will ask Will and Chris there. Rosebud and Thorn going into next season for Virginia Tech men's basketball. The Thorn is a thorn, something in the side that Virginia Tech needs to work on, something that they can prove upon. The bud is something that is blossoming, that could become a rose, which is something that is really good. So I'm going to put you guys on the spot here. Let's start with the thorn. Chris, I'll start with you. What is the thorn for Virginia Tech men's basketball heading into next year? Uh, I think they, the, the, the thorn is that they lack athleticism. Oh man, he stole my thorn. It's 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 not an athletic team at all, and you can see that when they get out in transition. Well, now Boots Radford is that. Besi- besides, besides and Bamisell, if they can ever get him they, going he, defensively. Right. Oof. If they, yeah, he those two guys are athletic. If you can get them on the court, well, well, Boots is on the court all the time, yeah. but but um, not so Bamisell. But when this team is out in transition, they lack the fluidness. They lack the athleticism. They just aren't. They aren't quite as smooth when they get out there. And, and, some, and you, can, you can bludgeon that, them into submission if you're North Carolina. Right, right. Um, so I, I think if they can improve a little bit in transition, their, their ceiling for being a good transition basketball team is capped because of their athleticism, but I still think they can be a little better from a decision-making standpoint and everything like that. So I, I would say that's – that's my thorn overall is the lack of athleticism on the team. And you, and you get the rose here. I'm sorry, the bud. What, what do you have as the bud? What is something that is blossoming on the rise that could turn into the rose? <laughs> the, the entire damn program. Um, I, I, really, I can't single one thing you, out. Does Tor Murphy count? You can say that. Yeah, you know, that, that's if, if you want to be specific about players. You can do players individually, something as a team, whatever. Yeah. However um, you want to say it. I just, I, I just, maybe that's my answer. The whole program, you know, you, you can see, you can see a lot of a good stuff happening and, and starting to bloom. They're not quite there yet. Um, so that's the way I'm going to answer the whole program from the coaching to the, to the player buy-in and development. It's all blossoming. All of it. All right. And the Rose, what is the best part of this team heading into next year? Either can answer. I I I, th- I think it's Mike Young's ability to to first of all just flat flat out his pure coaching ability. You can see that already. That that's that's not a that's not a bud. That's you can see it. But it, to get a little bit more specific, his ability to build a roster and develop players. Um, was the, and and those again, those are all kind of in the same basket. It all goes back to Mike Young. Their age, I mean everybody's eligible to come back of course but the best players on this team are are juniors or younger yeah so they, they've got they've got a window over the next couple of years where they've got a chance to be really good and and make deep runs in march depending on the matchup they get the matchups they get in the tournament last question ceiling for this team next year on monday march 22nd months away from next year give me your march predictions ceiling for next year's team what is it well, 15-team ACC, I would say the ceiling is top six, somewhere in that top six. I think they have the ability to do that depending upon the schedule. And, and you know, they finished third this year, but you can't say, oh, I expect them to finish third because we don't know what the schedule is going to look like. Schedules are unbalanced. I mean, Tech had the easiest schedule out of all the Power Five teams basically this year amongst their conference games. So 
yeah, you finished third, but you didn't have to play Florida State. You didn't have to play North Carolina. You missed one of your games against Virginia, you know. So yeah. Yeah, that's why the NCAA doesn't use conference standings in their uh, in, in the selection process because the schedules are unbalanced. But, yes, I, I've top six NCAA, NCAA tournament bid, I guess. Yeah, and the, and the ceiling, you know, the, the tournament's random. It, it's, it's very random, but um, – I, and I have to be careful how I phrase it. It's not my expectation. I don't think it's the ceiling. I just think the potential there is to be a Sweet 16 team. You know, they, they had a chance if they could have gotten over the Florida hump, they would have played Oral Roberts. Now, Oral Roberts turns out to be a pretty darn good <laughs> basketball team. But but it's almost like I wonder if Virginia Tech would have done better against Oral Roberts than Florida did because Virginia Tech is better coached than most teams. So I just wonder. But I just – Looking at it, looking a year ahead, a Sweet 16 appearance next year would leave me satisfied. That doesn't mean I'd be unsatisfied with less because it's just so random what happens. You don't, you don't know the draw. The, you know, the seedings, yeah. the matchups, the yeah. flat-out luck. One thing about the 2019, too, Virginia Tech opened up with the win against St. Louis in the NCAA tournament, right? And then Liberty. And Liberty no, no disrespect to either of those two teams, <laughs> well, but that was a pretty well, good draw. Liberty was a 12 seed. So our path to the Sweet 16 was – the 13 seed and then the 12 seed and then boom you're in you're and, and in after so many years of being an eight or a nine seed and facing the best team in the country in the next round or 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 having bad luck blah 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 bad matchup against wisconsin that kind of stuff that was the one year where you're right they rolled in and it was just relatively there's no drama it, i was almost disappointed it was pretty easy I, I was almost disappointed because that was the first time tech ever made a sweet 16 and they didn't. I, 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 Liberty gave the Hokies some problems, but I, I, I'd never at any point during that game did I think Tech was going to lose. Yeah, it, it was the least dramatic Sweet Sixteen appearance that I ever. No, no last seven. second buckets. Right. No beating a higher seed. None of that stuff. Well, they that's why kinda... maybe it felt like the Hemaline that was going to be the the moment, the buzzer beater. You know, Nance uh, on the yeah. call for you know the yeah. onions and with Raftery. But anyways. Well, we've still got a lot to get through here on episode 172 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We've got to talk about an NCAA tournament win right. for Virginia Tech women's basketball. They did that on Sunday against Marquette. We've got to talk about the NCAA wrestling championships and highlight Keely Rochard, who's on fire this weekend for softball. But before we leave basketball behind, though, um, let's do the Big Ten ACC thing. Sure. Out for the Big Ten. They had, if I'm counting correctly, they had nine teams invited. Out is number 11, Michigan State, and these are seeds. Number two, Ohio State. Number four, Purdue. Number one, Illinois. Number nine, Wisconsin. Number 10, Rutgers. Still in, and as a matter of fact, all three are playing today, so who knows what happens after if you're listening to this later. Number two, Iowa. Number one, Michigan. And number 10, Maryland. So six of them are already out, and they got three. And I guess that means none of them have made the Sweet 16. They got three teams today that get a chance to make it. So out for the ACC, number four, Virginia, number eight, UNC, number 10, Virginia Tech, number nine, Georgia Tech, because uh, what's his name? Couldn't Moses. Play. Moses. Right. Yeah, Moses. Right. Number seven, Clemson. They're all out. Still in Syracuse, who's already in the Sweet 16, and Florida State, who plays today. Somebody somewhere asked the question, if you had been told that two ACC teams would make the Sweet 16 and it would be Florida State hadn't made it yet. And it would be Syracuse and Florida State. No, no, it was something like, who would you pick? And I'd be like, oh, well, Syracuse and Florida State. It's absolutely who I'd pick. Because Syracuse is just 
They're just they're a tournament team, and that and that that zone of theirs is a nightmare. When they made the Final Four a few years ago, they were a play-in team. For goodness' yeah. sake, they were an 11 seed, and they're so, shooting the yeah, lights yeah, out right now. So the they way. do that, and Buddy Beheim is peaking, you know. And then Florida State, because it's Florida State, man. So I'm they're not the, the least talented. bit surprised right. that those are the two ACC yeah, teams and, still left. And, but again, it's such a crapshoot. Like the Pac-12 is the worst conference in basketball, according to every single metric. Did right? they like go undefeated or something? This yeah, week they haven't so lost. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. No, yeah. it's been a All right. So it's a really good point about the Pac-12. Anyways, uh, that's an interesting point, especially about the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It'll be we should bring that back up in November when the ACC Big Ten Challenge happens. So now, in the last twelve ACC Big Ten challenges, the Big Ten is seven, two, and three. Hmm. So the ACC's only won two out of the last 12 ACC Big Ten challenges. So I'm not talking smack. I'm just pointing it out because we're not in a position as the ACC to talk smack to the Big Ten. No. Well, we're getting ready to take a break here, but first a message from DraftKings. The tournament is in full swing, and the action has not disappointed. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if your if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook has 100 to 1 odds on select fighters for this weekend's UFC 260. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TSL. That's promo code TSL when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code TSL to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888-532-3500. We'll step aside for a break. When we come back, we talk about Virginia Tech women's basketball win against Marquette and the opening round of the NCAA tournament. You're watching and listening to episode 172 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Welcome back into episode 172 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Evan Hughes alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. If you have a question for Will or Chris, I promise we will get to them at the end of the show. Drop it in the YouTube chat and we will close the show with that. All right, we stay on the hardwood and we stay on the conversation of talking about the NCAA tournament. What a day on Sunday for Coach Kenny Brooks and company as a seven seed playing the 10 seed in Marquette. Golden Eagles, Virginia Tech wins in their first NCAA tournament since 2006. It was a very exciting game and a game in which the Hokies really controlled the game from start to finish. Marquette kind of made a push at the end, but the Hokies able to hold off Marquette. A couple of notes, Elizabeth Kitley, 23 points. Eight rebounds. Azana Baines, the Duke transfer, yeah, was terrific yeah. with 15 points and seven boards. 
Georgia Amor with 13. We'll, we'll get into the fine details of this game in just a moment, but just from a broad perspective, just how big of a win was this for Coach Brooks and company in the oh, NCAA very, very tournament? Nice. I'm, I'm glad you set the table because uh, the last time Virginia Tech played in the NCAA tournament, women's basketball, 2006, and they won a game, by the way. They, they won by like 30 points in their first game. They were, I believe they were also a seven seed that year. They were a seven seed this year. Um, to to put this into perspective, it was Beth Duncanberger's second year as coach. She had a somewhat long career here, and then Dennis Wolf, and now into Kenny Brooks. Uh, Seth Greenberg was in his third year as the men's coach. <laughs> Frank Beamer was nine years away from retiring. Malcolm and I were in elementary school. Yes. Um, second grade, Malcolm? In 2006, yeah, he would have been seven years old. Um, and uh, Jim Weaver was eight years away from retiring as athletic director. He uh, he had been he'd only been athletic director for nine years at that point. That's just when when I compiled all that and I put it in uh, I put it on Twitter. I actually didn't put it in the game recap because it's not really game recap material. I don't I don't know. You can argue about that. But that kind of puts in perspective how long it's been. Now, they, as we've talked about many times, they would have gone last year. But still, it's been a long time. Yep. And uh, and this was a team, Chris, that started 2-7 and seven in league play, mm. got back to 500, made the tournament. And I tell you what, Elizabeth Kitley played one of her best games of the year on Sunday. Gosh, what did she score the first how many points? Five points and – it seemed like it was it was the one woman show there there early in the game for sure, and it kind of was the whole game to a certain extent. But yeah, um, definitely one of her best performances of the season. Um, it, I think it's I think it's important to have a good post play in the tournament, and I, I, I it's ultimately if you can't score from a couple feet away from the basket, it's going <laughs> to be tough to win in March. You know, as the men's team found out on Friday, right? They, they couldn't score on the inside with, with their bigs. Um, so I, I think that makes it much easier for, for everybody else when you can establish a post presence like that. But uh, from a program perspective, I mean, I thought it was a big win, especially considering how they started the season. Um, they – remember, I guess it was two or three years ago when they made the NIT finals. Mm-hmm. Against and, Indiana. And But they were – they got hot in the NIT, but that year they lost the leads in so many games that year. Like, they were an NCAA-caliber team that year. They just lost the lead in the fourth quarter so many times, over and over and over again. And they they were doing that again this year, yeah. early, uh, down the stretch. Or not down the stretch, uh, before the stretch run began. And that's why they started 2-7. and seven. But they kind of flipped a switch, like, the second half of the ACC season, and that didn't happen to them anymore. So hopefully, uh, so I was a, I was actually a little bit concerned when they were up by what ten or twelve going into the fourth quarter. So they were up six. Well, so so they were up uh, nine going into the fourth quarter, and with two minutes and three seconds to go, it was sixty four to forty nine, if I remember correct. Okay. Sixty four forty nine. They're up by fifteen. Marquette hit four three pointers and a layup in the next eighty four seconds. Four, <laughs> Fourteen points in eighty four seconds. Yeah. So I said on the message words, I'm like, you can't really blame that one on Tech, although they did turn it over a couple of times and go two of four from the free throw line. But that's more a case of Marquette just going it's, nuts, yeah, um, and but, scoring. You know what did I say? Fourteen points in in a minute twenty four. But I was concerned going into the fourth quarter based on past history. Yeah. 
But uh, fortunately, hopefully that, hopefully past history is just that, and they've put all of that behind them. And that so, will be an so, issue so the key play down the stretch was, um, it was roughly thirty seconds left to go, and it was sixty six to sixty three, and they they Virginia Tech ran the shot clock down, and Kitley took a took a, took a fadeaway with ten seconds to go, and airballed it right, Evan. I, I think she airballed it, or or close to it. It like skipped off the front of the rim. But Marquette didn't box out, and Kayla King came running down the baseline, cut through the middle, grabbed the rebound, got fouled, and that was that. Yep, so. that was a huge. Kayla King was kind of the icing. And the and the other um, two players I want to give a shout out to are Baines. Uh, Baines's season high was sixteen, and she scored fifteen yeah. and that's, seven boards. Yes, so so that's a big game for her. And who is the backup guard who made two three pointers? That would have been Deja Green, transfer from Wofford. So graduate student Deja Green, and, and I believe it was her I was talking about in the recap, had only scored something like seven points in her previous sixteen games, and she went two of two from the outside to get six points in this one. So it's other players stepping up, and of course, what we're not talking about is Aisha Shepard. Is it pronounced Aisha or Asia? Asia, Asia, okay. and, and that was important to go off the. So Asia Shepard just seven points in twenty nine minutes. She did turn the ball over five times, and. Chris, I mean, that's a mark of a good team, right? When you can pick up, you know, where others aren't producing. You know, honorable mention, All-American. Um, so, I mean, the Hokies really picked up around her. Right, they did. And we don't know how much she was able to practice over the last couple of weeks from her injury in the ACC tournament. And then she played against NC State. She, what, she played 38 she minutes. She played 38 minutes. And that game and, hurt. And too. went two of 15, I believe. Right, right. So and she was nowhere close to 100%, and that was two weeks ago. So I imagine she did not do much practicing over the last couple of weeks just to get herself to the point where she could actually play effectively with limited pain. Yeah. Um, so I doubt she's in a great rhythm right now. But hopefully, hopefully playing in that game yesterday um, – Maybe gets her back in rhythm to a certain we'll, extent. We'll see. Um, um, you know, she played 30 minutes yesterday, two of seven from the field. And, and I only got to see the second half. I didn't get to see the whole game. And she didn't play a whole lot in the second half or, or just wasn't wasn't real active. I didn't think she looked bad. She wasn't limping around or anything. Georgia Amor also uh, poured in 13 points as well, added five assists um, and four rebounds. So a, a nice game for the freshman point guard. Yeah. And so up next are the Hokies. Uh, seven o'clock on Tuesday, ESPN2. Nice. Uh, the seven-seeded Hokies will get the number two seed and the number five overall team in the country, the Baylor Bears, who yeah. have been a power in women's basketball for quite some time. However, I'll say this. I not I don't know a ton about Baylor off the top of my head. Didn't do a ton of prep on them. I just know a lot about their program. But here's the thing. Watching Elizabeth Kitley and her moves down in the post, I feel like, Will, she's gotten so much better this year in the second half of the year when she's double-teamed. She can work through a double team, and she's gotten to be a better passer. So I, I think if you know if if Shepard can play well on the outside and Kitley can establish herself down low, I mean this is a Tech team that has beaten number two NC State on the year. Yes, I know Cunane didn't play in that game, but still they're capable of pulling the upset tomorrow. They're they're capable of upsetting just about anybody, except maybe the really top team. So so a couple of comments. Um, as good as Kitley is. Um, she still has has a, a lot of room to improve in the areas you were talking about that she's getting better in, taking more contact, playing stronger, and, and, and being more physical, which is really interesting to say because she's already really good. Right. She gets she, – at last I heard she was fifth in the country in double-doubles, um, third in the ACC in scoring. So she's a phenomenal player as a sophomore, and you can still see the areas where she needs to improve because 
Um, yeah, the scouting report will get out on her and they'll beat her up. And you, you could see teams doing that. And she's getting better at, at, at counteracting that. And the other thing about the women's game is um, if you have watched men's basketball and you've gotten used to Virginia Tech, the men's team, for example, has knocked off number one and number two and number three teams, fairly, I would say fairly often. For a program that doesn't have a great history, they certainly have a great history of beating number one teams. <laughs> um, that stuff doesn't tend to happen a lot over on the women's side. It's still the the teams at the top are a lot better. Well, there's than more the parity than there used to be, but they're, it's they're still, getting there. It's still sort of. Uh, I mean, it's still a sport where the number one team can beat the number twenty team by fifty points. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, so those are the caveats going into, into into the Baylor game. But absolutely, if Virginia Tech has got the tools in the toolbox, they have the post player, they have three-point shooters, they, they, they can get out and run the floor. If, if Baylor doesn't show up and doesn't play well, it could happen. And again, that's on ESPN2 tomorrow, so a great chance to watch them in action uh, on Tuesday against Baylor, and we'll keep you up to date here at Tech Sideline on Twitter. All right, let's transition here. Let's talk about a couple other sports. NCAA championships were this past week. For wrestling. uh, Hokies finished 14th in the tournament with 36.5 points. I think it was actually 15th. That's So that's what I put in the recap. Okay, so, (laughs) so listen to this. It's actually really hard to get to the NCAA site and find updated brackets and team scores. Um, but what I what I found said that it was produced at 9.21 p.m. on Saturday. So are you sure it was 14th or was it 15th? This is uh, Hokiesports.com. Well, okay, they win. Um, but maybe this was at 7 o'clock. Bef- anyways, 14th or 15th, we'll put it at that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, not the, not the finish the Hokies were looking for, Will. However, I think the, the headline was Makai Lewis coming off of his injury. Mm-hmm. Against Pittsburgh to end the regular season, medically forfeits the ACC championships, comes out with this big brace on his shoulder. And Chris, I don't know if you got the chance to see the highlight, but wrestling, a wrestler from Navy, in immense pain, able to finish and had to withdraw yeah, from the tournament. Yeah. Just tough to see. It's tough to see. Um, I figured, well, you knew he would give it a shot. They held him out last, or two weeks, was it two weeks ago, ACCs? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate from I feel bad for him. Like he had such a high early in his career where he won the national championship, and then the next year he takes the Olympic red shirt to prepare for the Olympics, and then oh well, there are no Olympics because of COVID, and then he comes back and he's going for another national championship. Was he unbeaten going into the ACC tournament? No, he had, well the, the the injury forfeit to Wenzel of Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, up yeah, until got, then. He was up until up until the last weekend of the season, he Correct. was he was. He, was. he had right. won like 27 in a row. Right, so he won it. You went out, come out and win every match, and then boom, you get hurt and you can't don't get a chance to defend your national championship. So it's been a tough couple of years for for Makai. I'm sure personally, too, yeah. when you consider all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. Guess what Virginia Tech's winning percentage was this weekend in the matches that I watched? <laughs> Ofer. 0.0. I'm just – I continue to be the worst luck. Well, I want to correct myself. It was after a session they were 14, so I believe you are correct. They finished 15. They did finish with 36.5 points um, as a team for 15th. But there were a couple All-Americans. Will, uh, Sam Latona, number yes. two seed, finished sixth. Corbin Myers, who was the highlight of any tech wrestler, finishes fourth at 133. And then Hunter Bolin, seventh at 184. 
But yes. there were some opportunities there for those guys to go a little bit further than they did. So Sam, uh, um, I, I saw both of his losses to the same Utah Valley kid, if, if I was reading the brackets correctly. Uh, and, and it just – the guy – Sam's a redshirt uh, freshman, correct, Evans? Uh, I, I think he's a redshirt yes. freshman. And, and the Utah Valley kid, I think it was a redshirt junior, but he was just thicker, and, and Sam just couldn't do anything with him. And he lost to him, got dropped down into the consolations. Um, I don't remember exactly what happened down there, but he did suffer another loss down there. But he did wind up facing Lamont, the Utah Valley kid, again, and he lost again. So he ran into a guy that he struggled with. Um, as the number two seed, Sam, I mean, Sam certainly earned it, but he was probably a little overseeded. Right. So uh, I think six is good for a freshman. It's, it's terrific to be yeah. on the podium as a freshman, as an All-American, is a big deal. Yeah, and and Corbin Myers as a as a three seed finishing fourth. You know, he he basically wrestled wrestled to seed. Um, I thought Hunter Bolin ran out of gas there at the end, um, particularly in his very last match. He he just didn't have anything right. left. Um, so, but but back to the subject of Mackay. Um, that was hard to watch. You know, he I did not see the first round. Uh, his first match, I didn't see it live. Um, I did see the one against the uh, the wrestler from Navy that he beat three to two, and Makai just was clearly in pain. And at one point, he took a full two minute injury timeout before going back to the mat, and and he still won. I mean, he still you won. could just see the fight the whole way, uh, it, and it was really hard to watch. Turns out, going back and looking at the first match, I did watch that on replay. It didn't look nearly as bad as the second one. You could tell it, the injury was bugging him, but in the second one, it was just – and everybody in the wrestling board was like, man, if, if he bows out now, that's fine with me. And he did. They announced the next day that he wasn't going to wrestle anymore. Well, there was so much takeaway from this year for Tech Wrestling. Again, they finished the season ranked number two and number three in two different polls after yeah. the dual meet season. But the injury to Lewis kind of – Unfortunately, kind of dampened the really good regular season. and So if he had wrestled to seed, it would have bumped Virginia Tech up into the top 10. Correct. Um, so 15 sounds bad. They were kind of the number seven or eight going in. And, and I think Virginia Tech at this point is a better dual meet team than they are a tournament team. Um, that's, that's, there's two different sets of rankings. You get ranked a, as a dual meet team and you get ranked as a tournament team. And they're different. So for some perspective – they won the dual meet championship. They barely finished second at the ACC championships, but that was without Mackay. Not that they would have won it. I don't think they would have won it, but but it was a close second. And then uh, finishing 15th at the NCAAs, the two ACC teams that were ahead of them were uh, NC State, which finished something like fifth or sixth, and Pittsburgh, which came in somewhere around 10th or 11th. I don't have it right in front of me. So that's it's it's kind of weird. It's two different animals, dual meets and, and tournament tournament stuff. Well, let's transition quickly here, and then I promise we'll get to your questions as advertised here on episode 172 of the Tech Online Podcast. Let's quickly talk softball and baseball because um, if you like strikeouts, <laughs> this is a good weekend to watch Virginia Tech softball. Um, Keely Rochard, Chris, I just want a thumbs up from here. Uh, struck out eight batters in four innings on Friday, but then 19 strikeouts in one game. Saturday, which was a career high, and then came back on Sunday and struck out 19 batters. That's 46 in three games. That's and the first game, the first game was a run rule game. So, 
Right. Yeah, it could have yeah. been more. Yeah. Been well, more. They actually took her out uh, after four innings, trying to rest her for Saturday. So yeah. they had someone – but she uh, she continues to impress and continues to chase after Angela Tincher O'Brien's career strikeout record. Well, how far is she behind that? It's a great question. Well, well, well she's going to have an extra year, so she's going to break Correct. it. Correct. And she's a junior right now, technically. Even though well, she's a senior in school, she's a junior this year. So she's – right. She's going to end up playing five years if she chooses to. Hmm. So – now I, I haven't looked the numbers up. I, I did. If you if you want to know the Angela Tincher story, just Google the greatness of Angela Tincher Tech sideline because I did write an article at the time about where she stood when she finished in NCAA history in strikeouts, and and it was it was really impressive. So I guess that's the next step to look it up and see where is Keely Rochard in relation and, to that. Yeah, and not just this isn't not to hijack the conversation, but what's how's the NCAA going to deal with career records with this? They're going to have guys playing five years of basketball. Yeah, like Stor well, Storm Murphy. Storm Murphy's going to be in his fifth year, yeah. and it's not the, and he never redshirted, right? So he was a starter. He's already started in college basketball for four seasons. 129 and he's games. 129 games. And he's going to start for a fifth year at Virginia Tech next year. So I don't know. And he's not going to break any records as far as I know. But there's going to be kids out there who do break records probably because they got to play for five years. So how's the, how's the NCAA going to handle that in their official record, record keeping? Because, like, I don't think, you know – you can't compare across eras and, th and things like that. But if I was a record holder and I broke my record in four years and somebody beat my record, but it took them five years to do it, I'd be a little ticked if they got, if the NCAA gave them full credit for, for that record. The, the only parallel that I can make, and unfortunately I'm fuzzy on the details is NCAA football, early mid two thousands made a change to the clock to move the game along faster. And they also made a change to counting bowl game stats. Yes, and they didn't make any right, adjustments. Didn't. So, so you you so not only that, but back in the day, the 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 athletes played eleven games, then then a bowl game, which didn't count. So they were really playing eleven games. Well, these days you can play twelve regular season games, the conference championship game. You know, you can play like fifteen, sixteen games. And to my so. knowledge, they're not throwing asterisks around. Right. They're yeah. just putting yeah. them putting them they're into not. the record book. So that's what you're going to wind up with. A note from uh, Chip Grubb, known as Hokey Chip, on the boards does a great job of covering softball. I bet he knows the numbers, sideline. Right? <laughs> well, he 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 dropped this in his softball recap that he has sent. That's going to be available on the website today. Pitt's top three hitters: Cami Thompson, who's hitting three thirty three coming in this weekend; Morgan Batesel, who's hitting three twenty two; and E. C. Taylor, who's hitting three hundred four coming in this weekend. Combine one for twenty against Keely Rochard and struck out seventeen times. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, I wanted to win all four. Tech went three and one, and, and so I, I, I either texted or emailed Chip that, and I said, "That's nice. I wanted all four. You know, Chip said he said, "Well, so did I, but the, but the bats just got quiet in the one they game. Did. Well, lost. and again, they're not throwing Rochard every game, so they've got two very talented freshman pitchers and yeah. uh, Mackenzie Osborne and Ivy Rosenberry who have a lot of potential, but you know, to win, you have to have you know, deep pitchers. So I think the coaching staff saying, hey, there's four games. We're going to give them opportunities. We're still going to try and win the series with three or four. But, um, you know, they're going to try and give uh, them every opportunity to compete in the ACC. Well, it's it's very obvious at this point that Tech has a chance to make a deep run in the NCAAs. And 
to do that, you need more than one pitcher, though. Right. You're going to have to have a second pitcher in there. So it is, even if you sacrifice an opportunity to, to sweep pit in the regular season. Right. One game to get those pitchers right. reps. Yes. You, you, you need to develop some uh, depth there because you will need it in come tournament time. Yeah. All right, a quick note about Virginia Tech baseball. They drop out of the top 25 for D1 baseball. Lost to North Carolina Greensboro, a really good non-conference opponent uh, from the SOCON. Uh, 7-2 on Tuesday. They went down to Clemson this weekend. Lost on Friday, came back on Saturday. Gerard had to leave after three innings due to a groin injury, yeah, something that he has suffered in his college career. So they're out of pitchers, basically. Well, hopefully he comes back out. The Anthony Simonelli is still recovering from an injury. Their Sunday starter, but Shane Connolly, Back-end pitcher for the Hokies, their closer, who was a Friday night starter at the Citadel last year, seven innings on Sunday, over 110 pitches, 11 strikeouts, no walks. Hokies had a 2-1 lead in the eighth and then gave up a three-run homer, lost the series 4-2. Oh, right, because their bullpen is now starting. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. So, uh, the yeah, Tech doesn't have the pitching depth to be missing two of their three weekend starters. Yeah, that's, um, especially yeah. when their Friday night game is kind of a bullpen game anyway, generally. Yeah. So that's that's not going to work, especially when you got six freshmen started in, in the hitting lineup. So, yeah, not, not so, so it's getting it. rocky, but yeah. it's still fun to go see a game. And no, man. there's still a lot of talent there. But I tell you what, I mean, every week, they, I mean, they go to Pittsburgh this week. Pittsburgh's a team that's typically at the bottom. No, they're ranked 18th in the yeah. country. Yeah. Did, did they, so, they, they won at least two games over UVA this weekend. I believe they won the series. But, yes, yeah, and they won. Yeah. I mean, so Pitt is a really good baseball team. So, anyways, point is, yeah, is it's no, crazy. Like your Pitts and BCs are good this year, and like UVA's and, bad. and Duke is way up there. And is Duke way even, up there? Now? Even Clemson had a losing record coming going into the series this past this yeah. past week. So, final note before the questions here's chip grubb <laughs> was a little off i thought roshart was a little bit closer you want to take a guess how many strikeouts angela tincher had in her tech career anyone three thousand and something oh, a little bit lower uh, no clue 2149 okay, keely so. is 554 so just to put into perspective that tells you how good angela, angela tincher was, was so yeah. Um, all right, <laughs> let's go ahead and get to the questions because we've got a lot of them. Thanks so much to everybody for waiting and dropping them. It's our favorite part of the show when you get to interact with Will and Chris. Let's go ahead and look at some questions. First one's from Anthony Price. What is Mike Young's contract? Hopefully he won't be like Buzz and Bounce. I mean, Mike Young's from Radford. He grew up here. His family you know, is here. Uh, he's not going to bounce. This is his dream job. Um and he's doing well at it. He's it's doing not, well not, at it. They're yeah. they're about to refurb Castle. I don't, I don't think the guy's feeling no, frustrated or or wanting something else at all. No, no. And plus, you know, within the next couple of years, he'll be sixty years old. Right, guys right. just don't go start bouncing all across the country trying to build their resume when they're sixty years old. <laughs> at that point, you find the job you like and you stay there, and then you retire. Right. So, and I think that's the situation we are with uh, Mike Young. I don't think he's going anywhere. So, Anthony, rest easy. That yeah. doesn't mean that Whit Babcock is going to insult Mike Young, you know, by I don't I don't know what Whit's going to do, but I don't think he's going to rock that boat. So I, I, would, I wouldn't worry about that. He did have a ninety thousand dollar bonus that he received after winning ACC Coach of the Year this year. I think in his he had several season. bonuses. I think he gets a bonus uh, for making the NCAA, making the NCAA tournament, tournament too. too. Yeah. Uh, let's see a couple of other questions here. I saw the perfect comparison. Matt Hart says, Cuse basketball is Georgia Tech triple option football. Teams sure. get into the tournament and don't see that zone all year a round. Absolutely. I like That's that. A, yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, it, yeah, they it, were they were in the play-in game a few years ago and then made the Final Four. Yeah. I think that's certainly part of it. And, and, and if you're and, an ACC team, at this point, you're used to seeing it to a certain extent. 
And then there were times that Georgia Tech would str- – well, not times. They would generally struggle in bowl games because the other team had, you know, four or five time. weeks to prepare. Yeah. So we do have a special guest in the studio today, a prospective student visiting from uh, uh, upstate New York. Kyle Marshak is joining us behind the scenes, very talented student who is considering Virginia Tech. He's been chiming into the comment section. So first off, Kyle, welcome. Hokies in the chat. Welcome, Kyle. Here he is considering Virginia Tech and our sports media and analytics program. He asks here in the YouTube chat, do you think Loyola Chicago is considered underseeded as an eight seed and would you constitute their wins as an upset? I so less I I don't know that I can answer that directly, but I will say this watching them win yesterday um, just didn't have the same zip to it that it had when when they went all the way. To well, the, you already done it once before. People yeah. aren't a surprise. I'm like, oh, that's, again, that's a good basketball team. Um, it's, it's it was certainly no surprise when they beat Georgia Tech. Right, Hell yeah. especially um, with no Moses. With right. no Moses, right? Um, I, you know, I, I think they're. I wasn't surprised. Is it an upset? Yes, technically, yes, it's an upset because it's. Uh, I think the official ruling by the NCAA is anything. If there's five seeds difference between the teams, then it's an upset. So yeah, it's an upset, but it's one of those upsets that you're not surprised by, right? Right? Like, I wasn't surprised when Ohio beat UVA because. UVA had to play an NCAA tournament team, and they didn't get to practice all week. They right? showed up the day what, what, before. What, what do you think is going to happen there, yeah. right? Um, there, so there are some upsets that don't surprise you, and then there are some upsets. That, then there's 98 Temple, Virginia Tech, right? There's a big difference between upsets here. So I was not surprised at all by that. Yeah. Um, um, they're now, an enjoyable team to watch play. Yeah, they really are. Now, now are they underseeded? Yeah. I don't think they're under playing in the Missouri Valley. Well, you know, tough to yeah, and I don't have their numbers right in front of me, but now I will say that I do think the whole quadrant breaking it off into quadrants and things like that. I I do think that helps the Power Five teams and and yeah. it and doesn't help the mid major teams uh, yeah. because like there's unless you get, get them scheduled in non conference. So like, let me let me jump in here and say, and this is a year where there were fewer non conference games. Right, right. So there was less opportunity for teams like that to make a name for themselves yeah, yeah, early. Yeah, that's definitely true. So they just didn't have that the opportunity for quadrant one wins and things like that, uh most likely. And I haven't I don't have their numbers right now. Maybe in front that's of me. part of what's going on is is that you don't really know what these other teams have because you didn't get to see them all that much until they went into their conference. Well, I, th- I think it, I think the upsets this year are reflective of it being very difficult to seed teams this year because yeah. it's not like you can compare their non-conference performances to each other. I yeah. guess you can the ACC versus Big Ten to a certain extent, but the fact that non-conference schedules were limited, you know, conference schedules are unbalanced – as it is, and this year they were even more unbalanced, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, teams get shut down in January. Some teams get shut down in February. Some teams are getting shut down in March. I mean, there's no reason to really nitpick what the committee did this year because it's a tough job every year, but it was an impossible job yeah. this year to, to get it right. Um, fun, fun team to watch. Though, yeah, right? I, don't, I don't think you can say that based on the numbers they were underseated, but it's certainly not a surprise that uh, – that they were, uh, that they won to me. All right, so we have a question that could be a full podcast discussion. So I'm going to try and rein it in as we are going a little bit over on time. <laughs> yeah, it so is let's, I'm going to ask the question, but uh, just be. We have a couple more I want to get to. This is from CT Hokevex. Does Virginia Tech athletics just lack a postseason culture of confidence and swagger? 
We have no team national championships, one finals appearance in football, and one semifinals appearance in soccer. Whatever direction you want to take that in, I know we could spend a lot of time on this, but how would you respond to that question? I wouldn't think so because, I mean, you're talking about throughout the history, multiple athletic directors, multiple players, multiple coaches. I think generally speaking, whenever whenever Virginia Tech has gotten into a semifinal or a final or, or whatever, that they've lost to a team with more talent. Um, I would I would put it this way: they they were conference nomads for for forever, up until two thousand four, um, and that certainly that especially impacted their ability to compete in in non football. Oh, I mean, Virginia Tech used to be around one hundredth or worse in the Directors Cup. Yeah, I mean, it was less than fewer than twenty years ago. Virginia Tech's full amount of scholarships wasn't even funded. And so since then, um, it's been even more difficult to bring yourself up to an equal footing because the TV contracts have really kicked in and, and there's so much more money at the SEC and Big Ten schools. And, and the other thing that, um, that I see, Penn State essentially bought themselves a really good wrestling program mm-hmm. um, because they have the money to do that. Clemson, softball is what second in the conference they just started yeah they built a 10 or 15 million dollar facility they 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 bought themselves right out of the gate a really good softball they've won program. 17 games in a row right now by the way uh, yeah. haven't and so it's God, just really haven't lost since tech beat them so so it, it is difficult to overcome some of these historically great programs and you're right this could be a whole podcast so i'll keep it short it's just difficult to under, overcome some of these historically great programs. And then you have moneyed programs deciding they want to start something to be good at it. Well, remember yeah. when Penn State started an ice hockey program the other that, day? That's probably actually what I'm talking about. The Penn State ice hockey program was started from scratch, and they built a $100 million ice hockey arena. Because one, one alumnus One did. alumni gave it to him, who happens to be the owner of the Buffalo Sabres. Right, you know. So, there you go. I, that, good answers. I'm, I'm serious. That would be a great as we get into the spring and we have more time on our hands. I feel like that's a that's a great discussion we could spend. Honestly, like 40 minutes to an hour on that one that one just, question. Just one more little nugget. Yep. Look <laughs> at the job that uh, has has been done building the track and field programs here at Virginia Tech. Yeah. If you do that for another 10 or 15 years, you're still going to not, for example, knock off Oregon or whoever it is. It's super awesome at track. With their Nike, you know, yeah, you're going to bang your your head on the ceiling, no matter how good you get. All right, a couple of other notes. Uh, Billy Parvinum asks: Are we at the point with men's basketball that we should expect at least a win in March? No W's other than 2019, or should we just be happy to be there, given the program before Buzz Young plus the madness of the tournament? My expectation for the basketball program is to make the NCAA tournament more times than not. If you continue to make the tournament on a fairly regular basis, then you will start winning games. You're not going to win a game every year, but once other years you might win two or three. Um, I, I can't I, – I can't, I'm not the type that goes into one – to a season and say, oh, this is my expectation. Whereas here's where I think we should finish in the ACC because all the schedules are unbalanced in the ACC, man. Um, you can't even think about where Tech finishes in the ACC anymore. 
and because the schedules are unbalanced. Like you might get a double bye this year. Oh, great. Well, you played the tech did play the easiest schedule in the ACC this right. year. Got a double bye. They might not get a double bye next year because their schedule might be tougher next year, right? So like so I don't think about Virginia Tech standing in the ACC at all when it comes to the standings and and how they're seated in the ACC tournament because that schedule is unbalanced and you don't have any control over that. Likewise, you don't have any control over your first round matchup or your second round matchup, even things like that in the NCAA tournament. So I don't just, I don't go into each year saying, Oh, I think they should go to the second round this year. or I think this is an elite eight team. So much of it is dependent on the matchup, which is out of your control. Yeah, so so while you were talking, I looked up Mike Krzyzewski, and he started at Duke in 80-81, and he didn't win a championship until 10 years later. Um, so his first three years, NIT quarterfinals, no postseason, no postseason. <laughs> NCAA, NCAA, NCAA. He, you, you, you have to uh, go a lot. I've got a – And you have to be really good, and you have to get some breaks. I've, I've got a friend, Andrew Alex. Um, Double A. His his dad went to Duke, and uh, I think his dad was like running the student newspaper at Duke at the time, and he wrote a he wrote a editor's column for the Duke newspaper in like his third or fourth year at Duke about how Mike Shashevsky needed to be fired as, as head basketball coach <laughs> at Duke. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's great. And yeah. then sometimes, and I remember this because I I remember watching this in 1990. Duke at a at a at a Let's see what what do we got here? They were twenty nine and nine overall for the year, so they were very good, and they made the championship game against uh, UNLV, excellent UNLV team that smoked them. And then the next year, Duke was a little better. They ended up thirty two and seven. They ran into UNLV in the semifinals, and the next time around, they were mentally tougher. Mm-hmm. They'd seen it, they lived it, and. They did a better job of it. And sometimes, unfortunately, you have to do the same thing over and over. Yeah. To and, and, and it's it's tough to be patient because you're talking about playing a game this year and then getting your next opportunity a year later. These right. things are years that pile up. Yeah, exactly. You know? Speaking of uh, buying championships, man, you just talked about UNLV. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> all right one more and then i promise we'll uh we'll wrap things up here uh let's uh let's go with ronnie adams here i know coach mike young wants to find a five does he or y'all have anyone on the radar and let me add to that end of the question or is john ogiaco that guy you think is next year the year that he finally cracks into the starting lineup i think they'll try to find one i think they'll bring a guy in if they feel like they can find the right guy but if they don't then i think they'll try to find a high school player with a high ceiling who might not be particularly highly ranked. Um, but I don't think they're going to go out there on the grad transfer market for a guy who's going to be a role player or something like that. I, I think they would only go out there for, for the right guy. Just my opinion. I could be wrong. Do, do we know who that guy is? Heck no, man. No, you can't no get clue. that information. No clue. Um, I, I don't think the uh, the guy at U, who's transferring from UMass is going to be the guy. You know he 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 signed with UMass. I think like his didn't his mom marry one of the assistant Mitchell. Coaches? His last name's Mitchell. Yeah. Is it, isn't it Trey Mitchell? Isn't yeah, that his yeah. name? Well, his mom married one of the assistant coaches at UMass, and now he's on the he's on the he's in the portal. He's in the portal, and I'm guessing uh, Pops is in the portal too for whoever wants to hire him. So I don't think we're gonna <laughs> well, I don't yeah. think we're gonna get him. We'll yeah. see. 
Um, uh, but uh, and he was also he was recruited by Buzz. He uh, wasn't recruited right, by correct, Buzz correct, here. He wasn't right. recruited by. But Mike I mean, Cameron. he's a great player, and I think that would be a huge pickup. But great I player. I don't think that's in the cards. Right. Um, Ojiako needs a preseason uh, and to be healthy. Uh, Mike Young has shown he can develop players. No, he hasn't had a chance to, to develop Ojiako. I mean, the guy couldn't start practicing basically until what late December. Had Man. no preseason, and then the program got shut down twice, and he couldn't practice then. So it's just you can't judge Ojiako on on what you saw this season. You you can only uh, you can only give it the off season. Yeah. I, I got nervous. My producer's over there crawling around underneath the desk, plugging things in. <laughs> Malcolm's <laughs> dropped his phone. That's the just perfect time phone. to signal that. I, I think our, our time is uh, <laughs> is complete. Uh, there's always one question we always close with. Here to end every podcast. Chris, it's Monday, March 22nd. A lot going on in Tech Athletics. What's coming up on TechSideline.com this we week? We will have a Brandon Patterson article later today. Um, his, his article about the weight room, by the way, was, was awesome. It was really good, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll have a basketball column, you know, kind of a reflection, maybe look ahead, expectations column, and then uh, more football stuff later in the week. Okay. Um, well, it's a great time to become a Tech Sideline family. Eighty four ninety nine the annual price, eight forty nine the monthly price, twenty nine ninety nine the student price. I will tell you, we don't do free trials, but you know, just sign up for eight forty nine a month, try it out, and if you don't like it after a month, email me. I'll give you your eight fifty back, your eight forty nine. And lastly, if you're watching on YouTube, what should you do right now? Like and subscribe. All right, that'll wrap things up for us, gentlemen. Any closing thoughts before we uh, say goodbye? I'm glad next weekend won't be as busy as this weekend was. Well, I have um, no closing thoughts. If I couldn't fit it in in an hour and 37 minutes, yeah, then I think we've <laughs> New said today enough. was going to be a long one. Again, tomorrow night, well, we'll have coverage at Tech Sideline on Twitter of the uh, women's basketball second round against Baylor. Yes, and we've got to rustle up Jake and see if he can do a uh, – I knew Jake wasn't available to do a recap for yesterday's game, but hopefully he will be for uh, Tuesdays. Perfect. That's uh, We're on t- uh, Twitter at Tech Sideline. Will's on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. Chris is on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL. That'll do it for us. Want to thank everybody for watching and listening. Thanks so much to everybody for the thoughtful questions. We really appreciate it and truly is our favorite part of the show. That'll do it for us, for our managing editor here at TechSideline.com, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 172 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by Anytime Fitness, DraftKings, the Southeast Regional Training Center, and Campus Emporium. Have a great week, Hokies.